Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's flat out RC time. It's Andrew Sill here coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. Well, we have a good show lined up for you this week. We have a couple, the first couple we've ever had, husband and wife team on the podcast, uh, Patsy and Richard. Brown from the, if you, if you might follow them on Facebook, uh, the Rap Fun Factory. Uh, they are, they hail from up north in Queensland and they are a, a couple that are really involved in scale aircraft building, especially with composites. So if you like scale aircraft, if you like uh, composite planes, then this is the episode for you. But there's been a lot happening, so let's take a look what's been happening around the traps. Well, what has been happening around the traps? Well, not much in the past week. I'm still buzzing from my uh, jet experience and flying the Viper jet for the first time. I really can't wait to get out and have a crack at it again. It's funny, a few nights ago, I had this very, very vivid dream that I'd bought a big, massive sport jet. It was so convincing that in the morning I had to double check that I hadn't bought something because it was such a vivid dream. And I actually don't like dreaming about model airplanes because it keeps me awake. I have enough trouble sleeping as it is. I don't need to start thinking about model airplanes or something like that. But um, I, I suppose, you know, down here in, in Melbourne, we're, we're in the thick of event season, uh, a lot of events coming up. You know, we had the jet event, the Wang Jets, and then Echuca on the same day. Uh, the Bensdale Mid-May Musters coming up in the middle of May. Um, I know there's a there's a giant scale event, I think, happening up at Tinkan Bay or up that way up in Queensland. Um, anybody that lives in Western Australia, I, I've never had a guest on from Western Australia, and it's like they ignore me. I send a lot of requests to people and they never respond. It's, I don't know why. What have I done wrong to people in Western Australia or don't they want to be part of Australia or something? But uh if anybody's from Western Australia and wants to come onto the program, just send me a message. Jump on my, the Flat Out RC Facebook page or flatoutrc.com.au and send me a message because uh, I'd love to have somebody on from Western Australia. I think we've had we've had every state except maybe Tasmania. I haven't had Tasmania, so I need someone from Tasmania as well and we'll try to get some international guests coming through as well. Uh, but, yeah, event, event season really. As far as model planes coming out, the RC Draco plane, uh, that's coming to Australia yet. We haven't received the stock yet, but uh, I'd noticed on I was doing some analysis the other day, and one of the most searched terms is RC Draco. Uh, so it's going to be it's going to sell like hotcakes. Uh, there's something about that uh, Mike Pady's Wilger model called Draco that's uh, coming out. So keep an eye on that. As far as other models that I've seen coming out, there's not a lot on the horizon. Uh, it costs a lot of money for uh, for manufacturers to to build new new models. And a lot of research and development, um, so there's not much happening. But uh, I'll keep my eye out. And if uh, I still keep it, I don't know whether to buy the new DJI FBV drone. I'm really considering doing it. Uh, but anyway, I'm I'm fighting the urge, and I want a new transmitter as well. I'm fighting that urge as well. Anyway, we'll keep on fighting those urges. Well, a big two guests really coming up, uh, Patsy and Richard Brown 
all the way from up in Queensland. Now, I came across Richard and Patsy through – somebody sent me a message, I'm not sure who, on, on the Facebook and said, oh, you should get these people from the the RAP Fun Factory, the RAP Fun Factory. And I went onto Facebook and had a look and it was Richard and Patsy. And they're basically a couple that love – building models and a lot of their work is working with composites and things like that and i didn't know a lot about richard and patsy you know joined their facebook page and had a look at that and they've got a youtube channel as well but uh what you're about to hear is me getting to know richard and patsy more and and you'll see that i'm silent for a lot of it because i'm just gobsmacked at what they're doing out of their shed up in queensland and you'll be too so here's my chat with Richard and Patsy Brown. It's my pleasure this week to have the first husband and wife aero modeling team. It, it, there aren't many around the globe, but I'm so happy to have found one here in Australia. Welcome aboard, Richard and Patsy Brown. Hi, Andrew. Thank you. Well, let's just paint the picture. Where are you currently residing? We are in Bagara, which is coast of Bundaberg in Queensland. Sunny Bagara, about yeah, ten minutes out of Bundaberg in subtropical Queensland. Yeah, so you you're lucky. You know, you get some nice weather up there, don't you? It's not luck. We're here by design. <laughs> really? We were in Stanthorpe for twenty years before we came here, and do we you know Stanthorpe? Stanthorpe's the coldest place in Queensland, so it was always a plan to move north. And yeah, we've been here. 25 years now and then done. I don't believe you. Like, I'm from Melbourne and uh, let's just say last uh, last weekend on Sunday, it was Arctic conditions down here. So I, I don't really believe you know what cold is. But I, I, I was born in Melbourne. Were you? <laughs> and, and, and I originated in New Zealand, so we know what cold is. Anyway. Okay, sorry. I take that all back. You do know. Both of you well and truly know. Where, where are you from New Zealand, Patsy? I came from Hamilton, which is uh, oh, yeah. south of Auckland in the North Island. Okay. But, I, but I did spend some time down in the South Island uh, near or in Otago where the, um, you probably know it as where the warbird, yeah, um, yep. they have the big fly in there at Wanaka. Yeah, yeah. So I lived down near Queenstown for a little while. That's a great that's, place. It's beautiful, but it's extremely cold. It <laughs> is. I've, I've been skiing there and uh, – Love that that South Island. Actually, I, I flew to Wellington a few years ago for work, and uh, flying to Wellington was amazing. New Zealand's just an amazing place. It really is. We need a guest on from New Zealand. Actually, I've got a guy on my guest list. Actually, he's from New Zealand. A, a tip off. Um, actually, yep. a couple. So we have coming uh, now. Okay, so you, the reason why I've got you guys on the podcast is somebody else mentioned your name to me and said, "Hey, you should have these people on. They, they're building some really great scale models." So. We're going to have a good chat about your, your your model building and the and the planes that you're building and how you build them and all that kind of stuff. But before we do, starting with you, Richard, how did you get started in this hobby? Oh, it's very traditional, isn't it? So you know, back in the early seventies, you know, the school I was at, they had a you know a model flying club, and we all used to make you know balsa and tissue paper control liney things. And some kid one day came along with a you know, four channel stem and flew it over our heads and I was just gobsmacked and from that moment it was sort of I've got to get into this radio stuff so that was in the early 70s um then by you know, mid 80s Patsy had come along we had a baby and 
was sort of time to, to sort of go down that radio control path, I suppose. So I got myself a, a Ben Buckle Super 60 kit and an OS 44 stroke. And we lived in the bush, like up in Stanthorpe on 600 acres then. No clubs, no one anywhere, any, anywhere around. So it was basically taught myself to fly after many, many crashes and eventually taught myself to fly. You probably um, taught yourself how to build through that process yeah. as well, the uh, crash yeah. and repair process. There was no option. Like, if you didn't build it, you didn't fly it. Um, we eventually found a few mates and we got a bit of a club, you know, five or six of us together. And we all used to make stuff. The old RCM&E magazine or the Radio Modeler magazine would come out with a free plan and we'd all build one and tear out. And it would all be totally different, all from the same plan. But we just had tremendous fun just teaching ourselves to fly. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you mentioned magazines, and I'm a big fan of magazines. That's why oh. I, I had one. But remember back in the 80s, the role that a magazine played, oh. it was pre-internet, it was it was everything. We used to hang out for those, like in the bush again, like Stanthorpe's about, what, three hours out of, two and a half hours out of Brisbane. It was your only contact with the world. And, the, you know, the ads would be in there for the hobby shops and what's available and, free plans and plan lists and that was just um incredible time and yeah it was hard but yeah you just did it yeah the i, I like my entry into the hobby really came through airborne magazine i didn't have a plane yep. but I just loved reading airborne magazine but I, there's still something about magazines I, I got home tonight and i checked the letterbox so i was waiting for this dirt bike magazine that i subscribed to they were the 500 500th edition was coming out and i knew it was due to arrive and I was on the phone to somebody yeah. as I walked out to the letterbox to check, and it was here. And I'm like, yeah. oh, it's arrived. And he's going, what's arrived? I said, oh, I'm a magazine that I've been waiting for. Yeah. And I, and straight away I thought, oh, when I get to bed tonight, I like I like going to bed, opening up that magazine, turning the lamp on, yeah. and just sitting there and and, and reading you know, a bit of it. And, and I know that over the next week, every night, I'll go back to that magazine. Then when I've finished, I'll go back to the start, and I'll start yeah. reading it again. Oh, I just, exactly. Oh, and and then even some of the magazines we subscribe to now, you can get the digital version of the same thing. Yeah. It's just not the same. We no. still get the paper version because it's just, I don't know, it's just something about it. It's tactile. From my experience in producing the magazine, I always said if it's just, I'm never going to produce such a just a digital magazine. If it got to that, yeah. I'm not doing it because I'm a fan of paper. But the reality of the situation was when I sold subscriptions and things like that, the the sales of digital copies were terrible, like literally yeah. hardly anybody wanted a digital copy. It was it was everybody was buying a print version of it, and I was sitting there going, yeah. "You can't survive on just a digital edition." Like maybe in another twenty years' time, when the next generation comes through, and that's all they really know. But I think yeah. a, a large majority, the demographic that were buying the flat out RC magazine, were sort of an older demographic that knew the value of um, magazines. So, yeah, uh, Patsy, how did you get into it? You know, you're in beautiful New Zealand. <laughs> was it over there or was it through marriage or what was your journey like? Um, Andrew, I was nagged into it. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, well, I, <laughs> yeah, if you can't beat them, I, I had never heard of air modelling. I, I have two older brothers. Um, for some reason, you know, they must have, we, we had the kind of aviation background, my family, like my brother was, uh, ended up 
going to the world champs and hang gliding. And my father was in World War Two. Um, did you know 900 hours in you know Anson's bow fighters did you know 300 hours in mosquitoes with you know 300 well, more than that and 300 night hours and mosquitoes I got hold of his records and I just found it fascinating now to you know go through the records so he ended up getting he came back some more he was a navigator and had always actually wanted to fly so he got his pilot's license and when I was a kid oh, probably you know six or eight or something my brother and I used to go up in the Cessna and he used to you know fly us around so I had I loved aviation but I'd never heard of uh, era modeling until I met Richard and then he started you know making things and we traipse off you know half hour at you know six o'clock on a frosty morning and he'd get his plane out he'd built and then five minutes later we'd be gathering up the bits back in the car and going home and then we would repeat that you know for two or three mm. <laughs> that was my introduction to it. So. Isn't it amazing though that you know, a, a lot of people reminisce about the good old days of aero modeling <laughs> and to me, it sounds like a nightmare. Like my biggest problem in life was the time to build. And I built some planes you know, in the 80s when I was a young kid. And I really, you know, as you would being a kid, I botched them up pretty well. But uh, it was just, you'd go, you'd, I really wanted to fly the plane. And I was only building so that I could fly. And so, but I knew that when I bought that, that kit, it was probably going to be at least three months before I was able to fly the thing. And nowadays, it's, you know, I can go and buy a foamy. And I go, not that I'm, you know, I've got some foamies, but I'm not, I don't fly foamies that often. But you can, if you really wanted to, yeah. you, you can go and buy a foamy and you'd be flying that afternoon kind of thing. But um, I think the, I always say the industry adapted to, to, the, uh, to the need of the market, which was, oh, this, this crash and build kind of process. But it shows you how committed aero modelers were oh. back then. Absolutely. I thought they were nuts, hey. I really did think they were crazy and, you know, the thought of me. I had a go when we were in Stanthorpe and, you know, had a bit of a fly around, but it was difficult. We had, you know, we had, we had three babies and little kids and it was pretty full on. Um, had a farm there as well. So, it, you know, that was a bit hard, but I had an introduction to it and Richard's basically always built and, um, and I've always, we, we always like doing things together. So. You know, if he went out to the field, I'd often go and watch, take photos, you know, all that sort of thing. It's it's yeah. interesting that I see there aren't many husband and wife teams or partners out at the field. You know, there's there's an, a couple down here that comes to mind, David, David and Melissa Law, um, yep. you know, yep. down here. And, of course, you know, David's a great builder and, and Melissa's following in the footsteps as well and they both fly and that kind of thing. It's always great to see them. They're members of my local club, so that, that that's good to see. But the last thing my wife wants to do is go and hang around with a bunch of uh, old men that fly toy aeroplanes. She thinks we're crazy. She she sort of, you know, she lets me do it. That's that's not a problem. But, you know, but I think that... Uh, it, it, was, it didn't just happen naturally. Like, I I really had to... He know, nagged me. I had to orchestrate it. And you could sort of, you can get to a stage like, you know, once we got to a stage where the kids were basically organised and your mortgage is under control, life space sort of becomes a little bit easier. So you can sort of, you know, Patsy was never going to sit down and, you know, get into the intricacies of test cricket. And I was never going to go off and, you know, do dancing lessons with her. But you, you find something you do have in common and basically that became art. I didn't call it aero modelling. It was art. It's painting and, and 
um, doll making or sewing or making making pilots. He used to ask me, oh, yes, can you make me a pilot? And he'd get this, I can remember he sent away and got this kit of a... Um, like a horrible latex. Oh, latex, and it just looked like it was covered in pimples, you know, and this, this it was the ugliest thing I think I'd ever seen in my life, and I just... Just look, give it to her and say, here, can you make this look nice? You know... <laughs> It actually, it's it's a good strategy, Richard. A friend of mine, oh, yeah. his his wife loves sewing and 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 things like that, and sort of crafty kind of stuff. And when it comes to, you know, he'll buy an ARF kit like a pipe, a big pipe of cub, you know, a Bill Hempel cub or something like that, or a big hanger nine decathlon hundred cc kind of thing. And he yep. really loves to do the interiors, you know, really doll the interiors up. And he asks his wife to do the sewing, so you know, for for door panels and and things like that. And she. She does a great job, and the closest I've got is I've said to my wife, "Can you please sew up these wing bags for me?" <laughs> or do I have to? I said, "Well, you know how to sew it, so get the sewing machine out. It's just it won't take long. I'll cut it up, and you just sew them." So maybe I need to. I'm learning. I'm listening, Richard, as to the strategy that you took. <laughs> um, the thing that really tipped her over the line. I, I was building. Oh, once we'd come to Bundaberg, I was building um, heavier, like war birdie planes. And I was building up Zeroli 101 Mitchell, and I needed nose art. And I can't paint to save myself, so I bought Patsy an airbrush. I thought, here we go. She's like she was in making you know, sculpty people, and she was you know, hand sculpting things. She's arty. I'll buy her an airbrush, and she'll you know have a go at it. Well, the airbrush sat there for about a year. Yeah. She refused to touch it. And I thought. Thanks, Homer. You know when Homer bought Marge a bowling ball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my birthday present. Yeah. Airbrush, darling. How would you like to pay this? And I went, mean, oh, thanks, Homer. Yeah. <laughs> but then she did pick it up and, then, and she was just absolutely spectacular at it. Now, within a year, she was putting paintings like portraits into the local art show and winning with see? this airbrush. So see, Patsy? See? Richard, Richard knew what he was doing. To all the wives out there listening, which there probably aren't many, but they should be listening, yeah. listen yeah, to your okay, husband because okay. we aero modelers, we will take you to greatness. Well, yeah. you know what? It is because he bought me this airbrush and I did not take it out of the box, I think, for nearly 12 months, and then I got the guilt. So I went, oh, he's bought me this thing. I haven't even opened it and I felt guilty. So I, so I literally went online and looked up um, how to airbrush and I found this page howtoairbrush.com so I righto and he hooked me up with a compressor and you know I've got all that and I've just got an old scrapbook and just started doing my dots and dashes and it was magic it was absolutely magic because you're not touching anything you just have your finger on this thing you know inches from the page and you just twirl your hand around in the air and just like magic stuff comes onto your and I was you know it was fascinating but it was he always introduces me to the technology um and how to do stuff kicking and screaming kicking and screaming and I go oh geez look at that that's not too bad is it See, you know what's interesting I years ago I used to run a um a 3d aerobatic fun fly event down yep. here in Victoria and for the first one, I, I, I and I was selling model aeroplanes at the time, 3D Hobby Shop Australia, and my wife used to help me out. Um, you know, she would come and pack boxes to ship stuff and whatever. And I said, "Oh, look, I'm going to run this event. Can, do you want to come and just help me? You know, with just a bit of the organisation." 
And she said, yeah, okay. And so the kids went off to the grandparents for the weekend and the wife and I went down to Ararat to run our little event. And yep. um, she had a ball, but she refuses to admit that she had a good time because <laughs> I knew that she was having a lot of fun. And I think that a lot of wives and partners could have a lot of fun at the flying field if they gave it a go. Like yep. I went to a jet yep. event on the weekend and, you know, pull out a chair, sit in the sun, you know, have a bit of a chat with a few other people, meet a few other people. You know, we're not always staring at each other fly aeroplanes. You know, it's no. not always when you're, you know, what it was like when you're at the flying field that we'll talk about aeroplanes and whatever, but none of us are staring at the flight line going, oh, so-and-so's going to fly their plane now. I'm going to watch the whole thing for the next 10 minutes. It's we glance <laughs> at things and go, oh, that's a nice plane, and then we move on and we talk about something else. And I think that yeah. um, I know there's a mum down at the club where I fly and she always comes you know, brings her son to fly. And she said she loves coming down here. Absolutely loves. She brings a chair. Sometimes she brings a book and she sit there and she knows all the members now. So it's a social outlet for her to come yeah. out to the field, even though she's not flying a plane. Um, but she will. I, I know that at some point in time she's going to succumb to it. Well, speaking of that, Patsy, yeah. when did you get into the flying? So Richard was flying and building. He's been flying for years and I used to go out and – Take videos and and all the rest of it, and I I started learning. Uh, you actually got your bronze wing. I did early on back in two thousand and I don't know would have been on, on a part navy of Victor if you know one. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was an electric. We did twin electric. I I think when I used to go out to the field and I'd see you know people you know with you know three fingers on one hand and four glow on the motors. other and glow motors and slippery. Right you know the old yeah that you know, they talk about the oil oh, the slippery right thong of the oil spurting down yeah. and I was just like yeah nah <laughs> <laughs> so Richard got into he tried to make it easy so you know got an electric it was you're not having the flick and get your fingers and chop your hands you off just and plug like, it in push the throttle and it goes every time yeah and that made it easy for Patsy to have a go at it basically. To the point where she got a bronze wings. Yeah, that's. It's interesting. I, I spoke to, well, I interviewed Michael O'Reilly from from Model Flight, and uh, we were talking about sort of the the ups and downs in the industry. And one of the biggest um, ups came as a result of the advent of electric planes around late nineties. Yeah, and like really practical electric. Yeah, and and he said. That you know, we were bringing container loads of just like one model because they were just selling out, and a lot of people came into the hobby via that route because it now it was a lot easier, and phone models as well. That now was a lot easier to actually get into it, and uh, that sort of gave because he he said to me that oh my father and I used to sit there in the in the late eighties thinking this business is doomed because our customers are dying, yeah, and there's no nobody coming in, but. Then ARF started to come in, and then, but but he said the the electric boom really gave the hobby momentum um, in that in that time period, late nineties and the early two thousands as well. But I, I agree. I think that when I'm time poor, I'll always go for the electric model to take down to the field because it's less less thinking in a kind of way. Yeah. Even though it's not that hard to you know fill up a plane and do all that kind of stuff, but. This is something very simple about plugging a battery in that goes. We have one of those Relief Flight apprentices. Yep. 
That, and some, yeah, we someone actually gave it to us. We didn't realise how fantastic they were. We kind of, I don't know, overlooked them a bit. And someone gave us this one that he'd had in his shed for like five years and never used it. They are the most amazing teaching tool. We've worn one out. There's a new guy who's just joined the club and ours is a bit battered. We said, look, you have this, gave it to him, and we've just bought ourselves a new one because you just plug it in for an absolute raw beginner and someone comes out and they're just driven out there and just want to have a look or brought the kids out just to have a look and we say, yeah, would you like to have a go? And you just you can just put them up on it, give them a go. It's it's calm, it's it's quiet, it's electric, it's not sort of, you know, revving and roaring, you know, scaring them. They're amazing. Like absolute raw beginner. Like we've had that many people, raw beginners, go solo on their first day and that's gives them such a buzz. It gives them, yeah, they're just thrilled. But you can also then flick it into advanced mode yeah. and, you know, virtually do anything with it. They're an amazing little plane. Yeah. I'm a big fan of them. And, and personally, if I was starting out, that would be my go-to plane. If anybody says to me, what plane should I get as a first plane? Yeah. I say the E-Flight yep. Apprentice. Because yep. I just think it's the right format. And, and you know, if you're a spectrum transmitter user, they all that safe technology, you know, limit bank angles and things like that. Yep. It just... It just makes a lot of sense, um, and yeah, I'm a big, big fan of that model. I've never, I've never flown one. I've never owned one, but I was close at one point in time. I was thinking, oh, should I get one for my son to give him a go? But he sort of wasn't showing enough interest, and you know, I had some other things that you could. It's just our go-to model now. Like we always have it in the trailer, even if we don't fly it. It's like we have people just rolling up. Probably most days we're out there just random drop-in people. I was driving past or. Had a road worker who was on lunch and saw them flying, and he came in and gave him a go. Like that, mm. and you just here have a go on this, and virtually anyone, there's virtually anyone has been able to just you know keep it in the air and fly it round. That, and and you know what? That if you want to get people into the hobby, I always say you got to get them onto the sticks as yeah. quickly as possible. You know, don't wait three weeks. You know, I've seen some instructors that will sit there and say, okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to look after the throttle and the elevator and you can just play with this one stick here, the aileron or something like that. Just wobble it around and uh, see how you go. And then next week we'll do the elevator. It's like, oh, yeah. my God, yeah. bore, bore me to tears. Yeah, bore them to tears and do it without scaring them. Though. Like give them all the controls but it's not – you know, plummeting to the earth, and they're like, yeah. ah! <laughs> well, now with with some of the planes, I've got a plane. It's a Hobby Zone Cub or one of those kind of brands, and it's got a GPS in it. And it's got a panic button that if yeah. you get all wobbly, you press the button, and this thing will automatically just fly circles until you take control of the plane again. And yeah. uh, and, <laughs> and stuff like that is, you know, okay. We know how to fly, so we don't need any of that functionality. Like, I, I, safe technology annoys me now because I know how to fly. But if I didn't know how to fly, it is a great first step. You know, it, it, it's it, it's showing you what te how technology can help solve some of the challenges and get people up in the air and and progressing at a faster rate than yeah. Get a nitro plane, work out how to tune it, build it, yeah. you know, crash it's it, build it. For, it's hard for us because we've been in it for so long to relate to someone you know coming in the gate for the first time and knowing nothing about it. So. You try and sort of put yourself in their shoes and what would make the best experience. So if someone rolls in, first thing you do is go over, hello, how are you, you know, flown before and you, you talk to them. Like, we, like I can still remember going to clubs for the first time and it's just ignored. 
Yeah, yeah I hate that. Oh, and and I, actually, Patsy and I were talking about this the other day when we had a bit of a chat, and I was saying how. You know, in my magazine, I used to have a section called Club Corner. It was just my way of trying to influence thinking around things as, you know, how to welcome new members and, um, yeah. you know, how to run an event or whatever. I just use some of my own experiences um, and, and just opinions and thoughts on, on it and sharing that. And I think, yeah, a lot of, you know, I'm going to get too into it, but there's, there's, everybody knows that we'd love to have more people participating in the hobby. And it's a yeah. very complex thing and, and there's a lot of things intertwined, but um, a lot of the onus is on individuals sitting at the field and how they behave. It, that's what it yeah. comes down very, to. Very much that, so. You, know, you can get people to say to come to a come try day and experience it, but if they turn up and they're these grumpy old men sitting there saying, what are you here for? Or, you know, well, I don't know. Well, we can't let you fly by yourself. You're going to have to, you're going to have to wait kind of thing. It's like, no. Yeah, be nice to them. Oh, I I personally love if I see someone that's I was at, again I was at this this jet event recently and and there were some spectators and they they they'll say to me oh you know what are these planes all about and I'll sit there and I have great pleasure in sitting there saying okay let me tell you you know what do you need to know just yell out I'll, I'll ask any you know ask me any questions I'll give you some answers then I'll say I'll oh, come over here I'll show you this plane and take you through what the you know, inside of a jet looks like and how big yep. they get and you know oh, and they always ask how much do they cost and yeah say you don't want to know but uh you have an apprentice there like we've just got it there in case someone rolls up and well, how much is this oh well you know sub five hundred dollars yes and that gets them in yeah so you've got you've got all the big fancy stuff and it's yeah. wow and you know that looks great you know but you can start with one of these and you can have you want to go now we'll so much fun on this you don't mm. have to spend you know thousands of dollars i'm yeah. going to keep that's a good idea that you guys give me that if anybody says to me oh what should they do i'll say make sure your club's got an e-flight apprentice ready to go and if someone yeah. turns up ask them do you want to have a fly and they'll go <laughs> what you go, yeah, and if you want to have a fly, let's go. We'll go out for a fly. I've got a plane here. And the other thing is we've had, we've been asking, you know, we've got friends that have got kids and saying, oh, you want to bring them out and, you know, have a look and have a go. And it's the mums who get really excited and they thrill. They're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And then they go home and they stick it on social on their social it's media. The yes, yep. Yeah, yep. The, the guys just, no, I understand right. And the mums go home, and then they put, and then all their friends are like, "Wow, that looks amazing!" Yeah, and and, and, and you know, it's promoting the hobby. But do you know why the parents are so happy? Because they got the kids outside for once. Exactly, it got them away yes. from the computer screen. Well, yeah. it's it's it's. I call it the international challenge because I, I've been yeah. to other countries and had chats with dads and stuff, and you know, and mums and about how, oh, it's terrible, my kids can't get off their computer or their phone yeah. or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, know what it's like. And it's yeah, funny, like, I say, to my, I say to my kids, do you want to come to the flying field? No, I don't want to do that. It's boring. Yeah. And yeah. My, my son will fly on the simulator, but he's into trying to hover the plane before he can land the plane. And I said to him, Charlie, yeah. you can't land. He goes, I don't need to. <laughs> like, yeah. What do you mean you don't need to? I said, yeah, I don't need to. I'm having fun. <laughs> Which paddock are you going to land the plane in then or crash the plane into? But I, I actually think one day I will get him out there. He's, it's funny, though, these kids. Look, I'm a big fan of simulators. And yep. I basically learned how to fly in a simulator. So when I turned up to the flying field, my first flight was takeoff and landings. Right? Um, and But my, my son sees me on the simulator and I get online with a with another guy, Brad Worm, who's been on the podcast and um, – 
he always says, oh, is the worm person going to be on? Yep, okay, oh, I want to have a go then. And so he sits there and he uh, he grabs the sticks off me and he flies. But he actually took to it very quickly. Like, yeah. you know, knowing how to turn a plane, keep the wings level and all that kind of stuff. When it's coming towards you and all that, yes. it's just basic stuff. Yeah, and I love simulators just for that aspect of orientation yeah. management, as I call it. But uh, so, no, that's like good old people. With that simulator, they are so good. We actually um, have one at the club, the club, mm. and we we lend it to like new a people. Library. Yeah, like new people come along yeah. and they want to join up and have a go, and we keep a list of who's you know keep like a library who's got it, and we say here take the simulator for a month, and then after that they don't sort of really you know necessarily need it. You bring it back, and then someone else comes along. Hey, do you want a simulator? And we just lend it to them. That's a great mm. idea as well. Love that. Now. Earlier, I said that you're known for your scale building, so I want to have a bit of a chat about that. Um, where did it all start? This whole building fascination. Um, Richard's always built. Yeah, I've just always built stuff. That's just there, and I've, I've always been sort of drawn to that scale, traditional scale type um, um, challenge, I suppose. Um, it changed though. Um, back in about what 2008, 2009, I, I started, you know, I've got a CNC machine from America, this little wooden kit thing, and you know, instead of having to cut ribs out, you know, what with a knife, um, started, you know, CNC and cut. Years ago. Yeah, cutting stuff. So when we had this thing going, I had a mate, he said, Oh, you know, can you help me build this CAC boomerang I've started? I've drawn it all up, it's nearly finished, can you help me cut it out? So he came round and this thing was, you know, a profile drawn on a bit of butcher's paper. It was so much work. But we got right into this project with him, like both of us did. And more so than the, the well, the scale building was fun, but we got into the history of it. I've never heard of a CAC boomerang. So you start Googling it and where were they used and who flew them. And we got onto this, the pilot. We wanted a pilot to go in it and we found... Um, um, a bloke called Tom King. He was the CEO of a four squadron up in Bougainville in 1944. Um, and we started talking to him about you know, the history of this thing. And so scale building is not just the you know, building of the nuts and bolts, but it's the history of the thing and what it meant to people. So he, he was in his 80s and we managed to track him down eventually because we were making uh, a we wanted to make a the pilot that went into this particular the particular one called U Butte Two, and I'd done the artwork and knows art for it, and we got hold of this bloke. He was about must have been eighty eight. Eighty eight lived on the Gold Coast, and he and his wife Beryl rang him up, and he was just so enthusiastic to talk about it. For about a week later, he rings up, we're coming up. Oh really? <laughs> and they jumped in the car, drove up to Bagara, booked a, a room at the hotel, stayed there. And just he just was so enthusiastic. He wanted to come round and see it, and he took us out to dinner and told us all the stories and the history of the the nose art because it's this really weird nose art with a a guy in a, a sitting on a tu tuxedo firing green bottles with a Shanghai on a broomstick, and it's like brass hanging off the back of the the, the broom. So <laughs> really weird. So just the history of it brought the whole scale thing alive, and that the, the 
point that really changed me, Tom came out to the field. He followed us out to the field because he wanted to have a fly. He's 88, never flown these things in his life. He wanted to see the Corsair that we had fly. Brian Taylor Corsair at the time. Come out and have a go. So we're driving out to the field. It's, you know, back paddock, the, you know, cane fields around the back of Bundaberg. And he's, he's coming out in his car. And we're doing 120 up these back roads. And he is sitting on my tail like a like a fighter pilot <laughs> space he is just so full of vitality and and zest for life even at 88 it's just we can't get there quick enough and that that's what changed my view of scale modeling it's not the you know, matching color chips and counting rivets it's the the people that brought these things to life and the the way they flew them and what it meant to them like a, a 19 year old um, it was really quite a, a, a changing moment for us, wasn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. I, it's you said something about, um, you know, doing that research of the planes and I, I had that experience when I was writing for the magazine and I'm, I got into this habit of every time I was doing an article on somebody, somebody's scale plane, I would research the full-size model yep. and talk about that to start off with so that people understood what this model was all about when it was made why it was made it was a warbird what was it trying to, what problem was it trying to solve or what was the improvement from previous models and that kind of stuff and i really really loved that process of learning about these planes. and it didn't matter what plane it was it wasn't as if there was a, a certain kind of plane that i liked it didn't matter anything that you know a, a world war one plane and you just and it's not hard to do. You go to Wikipedia and there's this story, and it'll tell you about the, who designed it, how they designed it, what they were trying to achieve with it, what the problems were with it. You know how how successful was it as a as a as a you know a, a warbird that kind of thing. It's just it is. You're right. It, it's I'm I'm not necessarily a scale. I love scale planes, but I'm not a scale kind of guy because I really love the flying. You know, flying is 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 the biggest part for me, but. Yeah. There is nothing better than seeing a field full of scale planes because the especially old planes because they don't make them like that anymore. Uh, yeah. The, the, as time goes on, the planes look more and more boring where yeah. these yeah. old I've, – I've got a photo of the CAC boomerang in front of me. I'm just having a look on the, on the internet as we speak. I'm thinking, what an amazing aircraft, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> amazing aircraft that has character, absolute character. But the thing that, like, Tom came up and he did all this and he took us out to dinner and he was sitting there and he said, why are you wasting your time on a plane like this? Isn't there something more exciting you can be building? And he, he tells the story of when he was in New Guinea, they were tramping through the jungle and they came out on a beach and on the beach was a brand spanking new P-38 Lightning, you know, wheels up, bent props, but sitting there intact. And he sat in that and he thought, Whoa, what are you going to do to get a ride in this thing? Like, that is exciting. The boomerang, he's saying, you know, the only World War II fighter to have zero kills to its name. What are you doing this for? But that, that makes it iconic in a kind of way. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's Australian, so it's got great, yes. you know, it's got some great history. But it was just funny when he was sort of like, you know, looking at these other planes, oh, I wish I could get my hands on one of those. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's one of those things, like, as time goes on, you know, I look at, you know, I'm into cars as well and motorbikes and whatever, and the whole vintage car motorbike scene is massive. And I think what it is, it's people of a certain generation that are now able to afford 
well, kind of afford because they're getting more and more expensive, can afford the the the, the their dream car when they were like eighteen that they wanted to have that they they go out and they go and buy it. So, but we've seen you know, the rise of things, and I think that. I know that as I get older, I'll be looking back at cars from the 80s and the, the Datsun 1600 I still think is a great car and I'd love to own one, but the only problem is they cost a fortune now. But, yep. you know, and you look at the car and you go, it's a box. It's literally yep. just, it's, it's, it's not a great, great car in comparison to what we have nowadays, but it has, yeah. you know, my, my family, my dad was into MGs and my first car was yep. an MGB. And the smell of that car, is still unbeatable. Yeah. When you sit in that car, there is nothing like a car like that. You, know, you get into these cars now, it's all plastic smell, but this yeah. was yeah. like from a different era. It's the emotional attachment then, isn't it, with that yeah. taking you back to an uh, era? Yeah. yeah, that is true. That is true. So, okay, so you, you really – when did you really start – so was it around, what, 2008, seven or something that you really started to get into the into the building at a different level? Yeah, that's when we found, well, that's when I realised you can, you don't actually have to buy something, like buy, you know, a plan with a, a cowl and a canopy and it has to all be sort of, you know, pre-done for you in a way. Even if you're cutting out the ribs, you buy a plan and the bits are all there. Once I got the CNC machine and then the software to go with it, we started learning not just 2D software, not just, you know, cutting out ribs, but you start getting into three, four, five axis um, CNC machines and you can cut cowls and compound curved shapes and make moulds of it, anything becomes um, possible. And that, that really unleashed me. You know, then, I, then you could go do your, your dream projects like your lightnings and things like that. If you can draw it, you can make it. And, that, and then, then you can cut metal. Like you've got to end up getting a metal lathe and the, the mill so you can see and see cut things on the mill. So there's basically nothing you can't make now. So once you get that sort of um, understanding, and it is, it's like I'm just a, a muck farmer. I'm not sort of anything. I haven't done this commercially or anything. Um, I just look on the internet, you know, Google it, YouTube, and I'm persistent, and that's all it takes. And you can do all this stuff. You can make anything now. I think the um, – yeah, we've seen that, that rise of the, um, the 3D printer. And yep. a lot of people bought them, and I always say, okay, you're going to buy it, you're going to make some novelty items, and then you're not going to do anything else with it. It's just going to sit on the shelf. Yeah. But when you think about it, you know, um, a friend of mine bought one, and he's done a little bit of stuff with it, including printing out a full glider. Yeah. And and so the possibilities are there now if you're that way inclined. Like I said, if you know how to design something, there's probably a machine out there that can make it for you, but it starts with understanding that design software to be able to to send it to the machine to print or cut or that kind of stuff. But a friend of mine, he, he bought a, a CNC machine. I was like, oh, you could cut kits with that thing. Yeah. You know, straight away, that's what I started thinking. You, can, you could do something with it. You could make something now. And we, oh, there's a guy, um, Rami RC out of uh, – he's in Germany. You've probably seen some of his stuff. And he's, yeah. he's doing that himself. And, and this guy sort of is paving his own way. You know, he's trying 3D printed molds and using carbon <laughs> fibre now. And and some of it doesn't work. But every time he builds another plane, he learns from the experience. So you that's, that, that's exactly it. Yeah. You know, can sit there and, you know, the only people that don't, mis don't make mistakes 
are the people that don't make anything hey like we have made every mistake under the sun we most of them. yeah and you know at one stage we had so many we did a big clean out of the shed one and we actually had to get a skip in just to get rid of all the like the parts the all the trials mm, all you know yeah. like bits and pieces oh there's a bit of an old elevator there's a mold that we had there's something that didn't work and it was literally just like a skip full of of it's, trial and errors mm. like the lightning i'm flying now it's a, it's a fifth scale lightning so what a, uh, 130 something whatever inch wingspan Actually, that's big and the whole thing was printed with a 3d printer like the, the plastic parts the plug. then we made the panels, like the you know the, the panels that go on it, with all the rivet detail, was stuck onto the outside of this 3D printed plug, and then we made a mould of that. So you get these beautifully smooth um, surfaces with all the little proper puckers from the rivets mm. stuck onto this gigantic plastic shape thing. shape that looks like the shape. So of without it. cutting, you know, a single bit of balsa or a spar or any of this stuff, you have this whole mould that you can then. Um, Lay up planes from. So I'm not just astounded by what what you can do with very simple tools. Well, I'm looking. I'm looking at your Facebook page now and having a look at some of the stuff you've done. Uh, it's just it's just next level. Now you you seem to be working with composites a lot as well. Yeah, um, the 101 Mitchell that I built years ago, you know, first maiden maiden flight took off beautifully, but just as it left the ground, the nose wheel was too soft. And the rubber of the tire spun off the hub. So first flight, ten minute flight, all fine and dandy. This is six months of building balsa oh, and oh, mm. what a yeah, year. balsa and you know, all the traditional balsa and blue blue blobs for rivets and all the panel lines and all of it. And then ten minute flight, and then I botched the landing up and all over. And you're just thinking that is just stupid. So we think why why not make a mould of that? And then if something happens. You can just, you know, another month's work to turn out a whole new one again, and away you go. That's when I got interested. <laughs> really? Now, how, why did you get interested? Well, I wasn't going to go and spend a year or two building, go out and crash it, which I knew I would, because uh, I don't have, you know, I didn't have skills, and then I wasn't going to turn around. I just found it depressing seeing him crash it, and then he'd just go back to the shed and build again. The idea of moulding, that really struck a chord with me and I just went, yep, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm just looking here at you've got some, I don't know, some components. You're vacuum bagging stuff, aren't you? Yeah. So the, yeah. the very basic, just to like a quick process, we have our moulds we've made, we paint into the mould, we wax the mould, we paint, then we what we call lay them up. So that's your fiberglass cloth. And to make it composite, we, we found um, the stuff called core cork. And that was a whole process. It's, it's, there's a lot of research in it. You, oh, know, you, you look at these overseas sites and they're using all these fancy space age materials. And in Australia, you just can't get them. It's, yeah. So what's, what can you do with what's here? And you know, there are boat builders and you know, using six mil cores and these things, which just don't work for plane. It was way too heavy for our location so this eventually um got onto this lovely it's only a mill thick it's cork it's got the little you know like holes if you hold it up to the light you can kind of see the little pinholes so it means that resin sucks through it and it bonds all together so you have you have a layer of cloth you put your you put your cork in then another layer of cloth 
this is just very rough. You, yeah. you put it inside a plastic bag, seal it up, put a vacuum on, and it sucks it down. You know those bags that when you're sealing up, I don't know, like mm. old clothes old and blankets? Clothes, yeah. Yeah, and you suck all the air out. Well, that's what happens. It sucks it all down and it squishes and squeezes all the stuff all through the layers and that, that's the composite. Yeah. And how long, how long, like if you had to build a wing, how long would it take from start to finish? Well, it, it depends on the colour scheme. If you just said, I'm just, I'm just going to make a wing. And it's I'm, way longer to paint it than lay it up. Like you can lay a wing up in a night. You know, that's... Now, whole wing paint up, yeah. Just, sh- just if you were just going to, if you're just going to lay it up and, and you're not worried about it. But we like to, when we open the moulds up, it's like, ta-da. <laughs> yeah. and, and there it is, if it's got invasion stripes or if it's got the, Polished silver. you know, whatever, and it's done. And that can take weeks to, you know, um, so the mask, like all the artwork and the masking and doing the how masking. How do you do, I don't understand how, like, I know I've heard about, you know, you see it advertised on planes that you buy painted in the mould. Yep. Patsy, <laughs> take us through the process because none of us probably understand how that actually occurs. It does my head in too. When we first heard about it, I thought that is rubbish. You, you wax a mould and then you paint it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> how does that work? Yeah. Um, but it basically does. So you've got a mould of a wing, say, like which is the negative, the female yeah. shape with all the rivets and the panel lines on it. You wax that up. Then we get, you know, like a vinyl cutter and you make the mask for all the different... So you cut out the, you know, the, say it's the American Mustang, you've got the stars mm. and bars. Yeah. So it's all the... The bit that really probably takes a lot of time is... Um, sizing that and working out exactly where it goes on the wing. But you, once you've got all that, once you've got all that, the next one is just so much quicker. It's the yeah. first one which always takes the so time. You, so you cut that on your vinyl cutter and you stick that down into the mould and work out because you're working backwards. Yes. Okay, so, so you're going to paint your stars and bars. So you might, you know, peel out, say the white. You put the whole mask down, which covers virtually the whole wing, and you just peel out the colour. That you're, you're wanting to paint, whether it's the white or you know something like that, and you paint that colour. When you peel out the next colour, you don't have to remask yeah. the colour you've already put down because you're painting on the back of it, not the front. Okay, so, yeah. it in, so it ends oh. up looking. It looks an absolute dog's breakfast. But are you painting it how? With an airbrush? An airbrush. Oh well, well a, a touch-up gun. So we're using yeah. uh, automotive 2K paint. Yep. So you know, like a four to one. You have your hardener. Mm. You have your paint. You have your, your paint, paint cars with. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And we just use a, um, a an automotive touch up gun. We've got a, a little like an outside spray boot, and we've got one of those positive um, pressure um, hoods, so you're not breathing anything. We just so it's really it. quite easy to you know, make it safe process. And so you're painting onto this wax. Well, well, it's all polished off. Like you wax it on, you polish it off, so it's all nice and shiny. Someone explained to us once how we don't use PVA, so the mould's there, and when you wax it, the wax goes into the tiny little pores in the surface and fills mm. it, and then you polish it all off. So you're not actually putting it on a, a waxed layer. You're putting it on a, a polished surface. Okay. And, and, and what, the paint, does the paint dry or does it stays wet? Like how does it transfer uh, into the fibreglass? Well, it's it's dry. It dries in like ten minutes. Mm. Oh, 
Like yeah. it, dry, it flashes off really quickly. Yeah, but when you don't want it so that if you touch it, it's still sticky. So, I mean, we might paint it and then leave it until we've got time to lay it up. Yeah. We might leave it. So then the next coat... Or if you're in a hurry, like you can paint it, and the time you clean the gun out and sort of got ready, um, you, you can start laying up on it. So okay. depending what you're trying to do, but it goes off quite quickly. Yeah, and so then, you, and, then and, and obviously then when you're laying up the fibreglass, it's... Sticks to the fiberglass, then the, the paint is the paint does absolutely immovable. So, yeah. once it comes out of the mold, you cannot, you know, you can get your thinners or whatever, you can't take that paint off. It's all bonded together, it's a, it must be like an epoxy paint. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, it's all it all so the paint bonds to the epoxy, it's which bonds the to the cloth, it just becomes the whole thing, just becomes one. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, it, it is. It's a, see, now, see, now I'm into building because it is a fascinating process. I just love it. Yeah. And I, it's, you know, this is the kind of stuff. And I'm going to, I was already thinking that we're probably going to have to have you guys back on to, to talk some more details about this because, uh, we could probably go on for days talking about some of these processes. So I'm going to earmark you and have a chat with me about working with composites maybe at some point in time down the track because, yep. um, you guys are like we see commercial entities like Compaf yeah. and things yeah. like that in the jet scene building this kind of stuff, and you're really doing the same kind of thing out of out of your own garage. But it, from them, it's like blood from a stone. When I was trying to work out, you know, what products and how you do oh, it, no, no one can tell you yeah, anything because it's a commercial interest. We're not interested in commercial. We just do it for fun. That's yeah. why we started. Um, fun factory and someone it was a friend of ours we didn't come up with a name then we had this friend here and he goes oh you know someone called us rat because it's richard and patsy you know yeah. and then it's and then it's like oh this is like a fun factory in here and it just kind of stuck and then because we had such a hard time sort of i don't know 10 or 12 years years ago you know, like epoxy to, to us, it was like, well, what is it? Is it polyester? Is it a epoxy? Like, what, 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 what does all this mean? And like a core, no idea. And we just, I just spend days on the phone ringing all these people and just samples, asking yeah. questions. I didn't understand it and asking and asking and asking. And we would spend money on something. And, okay, we'll buy that. There's a hundred dollars. Oh, no, that's not what oh, we want. And then in the end, when we finally started, it started to work. We just wanted to make it easy for anyone else. Like someone else comes along, man, you should be doing this. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and we do get a lot of people who just message us and say, oh, do you use PVA or what? You know, how do you do that? Yeah. Look, happy to tell. Okay, that's, the, that's the encouragement we get. People from all over the world saying, oh, you know. How will I do this? Or I've tried this and this happened. What what do you suggest? And mm. it's the stuff that I would have wanted to have known five or ten years yeah. ago. Why we do it? Have you ever watched on YouTube um, Mike Patey? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> How good is that? Like, because oh, you you guys remind me of him. That it's you know back to work. We're going to go and build another thing. But he you know he's building that new scrappy plane out of carbon fiber and. And really paving the way, you know, in many ways in in that in that plane building, you know, because there's nothing stopping him from trying something. And like you said earlier, if you've got the equipment, then you know, like CNCs and and things like that, you can actually do it if you want to spend the time. You can actually. I'm, I'm looking at some photos here with uh, P 
Petty holding up the the Mustang. Richard, Richard's, Richard's first CNC yeah. was this tiny little, it was 300 by 600, a little kit little that one, he built yeah. himself. And that was tiny. And from there, he made lots of things. And then he wanted to make something bigger. So he used his little 300 by 600, which was only about the size of what, you know, two bits of A4, really, isn't it? It's pretty yeah. small. So he used that to cut all the parts to make a much bigger one but just jigsawed them all together like mm. interlocking pieces and then glued it all together and made this thing and the runners were like um water pipe it was really agricultural and then mm. someone else wanted one so he made another one for a friend and then someone that we'd met were talking to through the internet in south australia and adelaide wanted one so we should cut all these bits on this we packed it up onto a pallet because we send um we send you know uh, we grow um herbs and we send them down south so we got our uh transporter who we send stuff we you know stuck it on a pallet and we sent that off to adelaide for this guy and he built his own from that as well it's all, yeah. all made from just these bits of agricultural equipment i've actually we've had a bit to do with mike Patey. he was making his propeller and he put that up no he made the spinner for his prop on yeah. scratch Yep. And he did that sort of um, halfway plate. And I thought, what a great idea. So I copied it and put it on one of our Mustangs, like in fifth scale. And brother Mark saw it. I copied um, Mike in and Mike's, oh, geez, fantastic. And yeah. that sharing of ideas, like openly sharing ideas, which makes, it, makes the hobby exciting now. Yeah, look, I'll tell you what, you two will never be bored. <laughs> Absolutely not. You don't have time to be bored, do you? <laughs> That, no, I'm looking. I can look at more photos. That lightning is amazing. Oh, that that's that is my favourite plane. Like, you know, when I was about four, my grandmother had a um like a toy drawer, and in that drawer was a diecast um lightning. And ever since then, that just gelled with me. So it's always been, oh, how would I make a lightning? And we've got to the stage where I can now, and the things finished and flown, and it is just an amazing thing to fly. Yeah. It's just the, the supermodel standing next to the lightning is not too bad either. Is that our neighbour, Kelsey? No, it's you. It's you. <laughs> as well. Like that's, that's the thing. Like Tom told us that it's not about, you know, measuring rivets and, and matching, you know, scraps of, of colour. It's about the essence, the, the, how you fly the thing really matters. So yeah. we learnt that. And, well, that's when we stopped flying, you know, straight and level and, you know, scale and speed and, you know, precise descending circles. We get out there and fly it like we stole it. And that's, that and is such fun. And we fly it together now. We don't, it's not a race, but we orchestrate it and we try and fly as close as we possibly can to each other. Yeah, that's great. We've been, been doing that for about three or four years now. And the, it's, the excitement has never worn off. I think I'm a big fan of that. I think. Um, I've talked about this a lot, but I get bored very quickly. And if I'm flying yeah. circuits, oh. I, I made in my jet last weekend. And, yep. you know, you, everyone's a bit conservative on their maiden flight, but yeah. two circuits, you know, had to do a roll because yeah. it was okay. I've had enough. I can fly a rectangle now. Yep, there's a plane. I can fly it. Now let's do something else with it. And I think one of my, you know, I shoot videos for the Flat Out RC YouTube channel and I go to some of these events and, it's very, very hard to film aeroplanes that are flying at like 200 feet. And 
all over, really high and all over the place, and it's really yeah. boring to watch. And I'm like, okay, you got a Piper Cub, fly it like a Piper Cub. Give me some touch and goes. Give me some stall turns. Yeah. You know, some lazy rolls kind of thing. If you're flying a Warbird, well, a Warbird didn't fly circuits. It wasn't made to fly circuits. If you're flying a jet, like make it look yeah. like a jet flying. And so, yeah, I'm a big, big supporter of anyone that, uh, like on the weekend, um, a couple of guys, Tyson Dodd and Paul McCarthy, did like a flew, t- flew their jets together, an F-16 and F-18, and they were just calling out moves and, and um, following each other basically, and it looked great. And that is a flight that you would watch from start to finish, you know, that their, their, their takeoffs were done sort of together because, you know, flying in a full-size yeah. airport with a massive runway and uh, landing's the same kind of thing. And, and it was just an awesome thing to see, you know. But, um, yeah, big supporter of that. A few years ago, um, on Anzac Day, the council used to sponsor the Mustang Snipta, which is based in Caboolture at that time, to come up and do a, a flyover at Bagara at the dawn ceremony. And they're always trying to pay for it and get money. So we actually um, went for a ride. Richard and I went in the back seat of the sink. We have actually been twice. This is just how good it was. It was, and that's another probably pivotal moment that, changed us the way we fly because he didn't you know take off nice and steady and level and you know put around we said go hard we want our money's worth and he was okay you look like you can handle it so (laughs) it was amazing and um we got him to fly over our field so that one was in the back and then the other one and we told everyone in the club come on out we're going to have our own air show yeah, yeah. and he would fly over well we've got this on richard's second flight i was standing out with a dozen or so people and the pilot this mark hall who's just the most amazing guy and you know because he's got a part share in this thing and he just yeah. loves it and he gets to fly it so he's saying to richard well, sneaking around the back of the clubhouse and surprise them. Yeah. Well, can you imagine sneaking a Merlin engine? I know. I reckon we would have heard them the minute they left, you know, the Bundaberg Airport. And he came in just over the treetop. No, it was probably higher than that for Casper. He, he came in and he, he, roared, up. he roared over the top of us and he pulled up to this massive, almost, not a still, but huge wing over. He dropped down. He did a barrel roll over the top of us and he... That's what you got to see. And, you know, it was the most exciting thing. So when we go out and fly the next day with our Mustangs, that's what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's what you want. Yeah. That's I love, I love... Exciting. Like, I, th- I think my favourite Warbird is the Mustang and I think it's it's... A big part of it is because I used to get books on aeroplanes when I was younger. I wanted to be a pilot when I was younger. I'm sort of glad I'm not. My brother's a pilot. But uh, but the I have this book that is a beautiful book on the Mustang with this special type of printing on it, which is just phenomenal. And it's basically the history of the Mustang and the different models and there's different schemes and the different, you know. Yep. And it's a very large format, almost like a coffee book kind of thing, very large format. And it's still in pristine condition. And that that the lines of that Mustang just always get me. I just think it's a beautiful looking plane. And I'll it's an incredibly sexy, beautiful looking plane, isn't it? It's uh, it, <laughs> I wanted this Mustang and got Richard to make the moulds. 
he wanted to make a lightning and he goes, oh, right, I'll, I'll make the Mustang for you, you know, because I didn't think I could fly the, I'll make, I'll make the Mustang for you and then I can get on with my bucket list. Oh, I'll make this bloody Mustang because we were at that time flying, we had mould for a, a Thunderbolt, a P47, and we'd been flying those around and I thought that you couldn't beat, nothing could beat the Thunderbolt, it was just the best thing, you know, ever. And then made this Mustang, well, the first time, honestly, the first time we flew it. Because we did it like the true Mustang, we, we did the laminar flow wing, we didn't oh, use did you? A, a model um, um, section, we used the, we, there's this website called aircorps.com. Aircorps Library. Aircorpslibrary.com and they've just got on microfiche like the whole um, factory blueprints of all oh, these really? world blue planes. So you can go on there and get, you know, every rib, every nut and bolt for a Mustang from the full size drawing. So we really? copied this thing and it's got the proper laminar flow wing, no fudging the shape or anything. And it flies just absolutely magnificently. It's just viceless. How does that go with? How do you go with the takeoffs and landings? Because I've seen plenty of these warbirds tripping over on takeoff and landings. Do you have to be careful when flying them, or or how how are they? It's viceless. It is harder to land than the thunderbolt. It's, it's harder to land nicely. Yeah. yeah, it's easy to land. It's it's an easy. They're all easy to land. It's just to do it absolutely smoothly. Oh, it still sucks you in. You just gotta oh have another go, another go. And isn't that isn't that just what definition of flying's about is nailing that isn't that it's, the, it's all about the landing. It's landing. It is, it's it the is. best feeling in the world when you just nail it. It's like yes. <laughs> well it's true. It's 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 when I made in the plane, it's just the landing is what counts. Actually most flights it's all about it's all about the landing. Actually, I've got a I've got a YouTube video idea about filming landings and critiquing. Yeah. Them. But the um, uh, so for anyone that's listening, you can see some of these models if you go to Facebook and it's you just search RAP Rap uh, Fun Factory. I'm looking at the the Mustang. What size is that Mustang? It's absolutely true fifth scale. So eighty eight point nine inch wingspan. I think it is. Yeah. What's like the about 14 kilograms, something like that. We've got a DLE 55RA in them. Like, it's not the sexiest motor, but they are just robust. They, they just you fire them up and they work. And that's what we want because we fly a lot. We fly a lot. We're out there, you know, every week, if not twice a week, and we're having two, three flights, and we've got two or three Mustangs up at a time all flying yeah. around together. So we just need reliability. Yeah. And so what's the wingspan of? You said round. Was it? It's, it's eighty-nine inch, basically. It's a yeah. true fit. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, because it's a nice size, actually. It's you know, I can see the two of you there with you, with both the models. When it comes to um to painting the painting painting the planes, what's your inspiration? <laughs> um, bright and gaudy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Childish. Yeah. Good. <laughs> like that. <laughs> no, we, yeah, these, I hate olive drab. Um, we used to do that. Used, you know, yeah. basically we used to start, you know, it had to be, you know, a, a, a real model and all the rest of it. And in the end it just went, you know what, stuff it. These are our planes. We're not taking it to a competition. I love Invasion Stripes. And when you're 
um, really wanting to see it well in the distance. Like we know spring chickens. You're looking for planes. <laughs> we know spring chickens. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to go hard now. That was Tom's thing. You know, when you're 88, don't leave it till tomorrow. Do it today. Yeah, that's true. That's what we're doing. And it, yeah, so when you're flying two of these, two or three of these things together, you need to see in your peripheral, not just your plane. You, you're focusing on it. Yeah. You want to see the other ones are as well. So, like invasion stripes, they stand out more than anything. So yeah, we we wanted that. Um, the first the first Mustang we did it was scale. It was called Miss Candy, and it's a uh, a show one in America, mm. and beautiful yellow nose, the big long yellow nose. Retail. It was this chrome. Um, polished aluminium look. Yeah, yeah, yep. That—that's a whole process in itself that we could probably. That was my holy grail: how to make something come out of a mould yeah. and have it look like a polished aluminium With... riveted panel. Oh. And that—that that, that took years, years to get anything even <laughs> close to that. Yeah. So the so the colour schemes, you know, and then. We found another one called Lil Mill, which was had the yellow nose, and I just kind of added the invasion stripes because I wanted them, and it just looked even better. It had the red canopy frame and put red wingtips and a red tail, and and then after that we just went, yep, that's it. <laughs> so, am I right in saying that the way that you divide up the the task of building that? Um, Richard's out there designing and cutting and and that kind of stuff, and and. Patsy, you come in later with, um, you know, glassing things up and painting and more the artistic side of th side of things. I call it Richard's the brains. Yeah, and he he does the the designing and the thinking out and the um, how to make things new. I, once the mould is made, I'm happy to take those moulds. Like there, might, there might be thirty or forty individual moulds that go together to make a Mustang. And then there are the what we call the internals. Like you've got, you know, mould A and B, like top and bottom of a wing, and you lay them up with your, you know, epoxy and back it all down. But when you join it, you've got to add internal structure, like a spar, um, somewhere, something to bolt the undercarriage to, um, wing joining tubes, a, all that a, sort a, of. A rear spar that that you hang your flaps and your ailerons off. We don't have any external linkages, so there's nothing hanging out. It just looks like the real one. We don't like. Things hanging up, so um, something called RDS, which is Rotary Drive System, which mm. is that's what works all our control all surfaces. surfaces. So everything's internal, so there's got to be little pockets for the servos to slide into. And this is this design process that you know, Richard, every single one, how can I make it better? How can I make it better? And I'm thinking, it's great, you go, no, no, I can make it better, I can make it mm. better. Doing the artwork and painting and you know, laying up like vacuum parts down. I'm on the CNC, you know, cutting those internals and redesigning it and rethinking it and refining. I think we're up to version 14 of you know internals for the Mustang wing. Really? So, so that when you you get that wing comes out of the mold, it's all beautifully painted, and you want to put your undercarriage. You just cut out the door, which is you know marked because it's that's the the panel. And then you get your undercarriage, you just drop it in and screw it in. And you know how frustrating it is when you get an ARF and it doesn't fit and you're mm. chiseling little bits out. And it doesn't break out of the wing. Like if you do a rough landing, we've designed in you know, a, a spigot on the leg that will bend 
you you really, really got to try hard to pull an undercarriage out of one of these wings because that's practically, if you're out there flying every week, you don't want to be at home, you know, fixing bits and gluing bits back. You just yeah. want it to, to work. i tell you what, I, I did not know that there was somebody in Australia doing this kind of stuff. Like this is the level of detail and the effort that you're going to to, to put these models together. Is just I'm falling in love with the Mustang. I've got to stop looking at it. <laughs> it's cute. And, and the funny thing is that after it flew, Richard mm. has to admit, because <laughs> it was like, oh, all right, I'll make you the damn Mustang, you know. Yeah. <laughs> then, I can, then I can get on with my lightning. Like, I was interested in whether a laminar flow yeah. wing would work at tip scale. Everyone mm. said, no, it's just going to drop out of the sky. It's oh, it won't work in on you and it's going to be vicious stall. Absolute rubbish. Really? It is magnificent. It's viceless. This is, I'll tell you what. And we, and we give other people a go too. Like people come up here, you know, put them on a buddy so they don't feel uncomfortable. Here, have a fly of this, have a fly, you know. Got a friend at the moment who's up and we've got this, we had one, well, we call it scrappy. Real scrappy, not a boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. During, the, during the lockdown, we thought, oh, you know, maybe we could make them to sell because we don't sell anything. I'm just saying right up front because it takes just hundreds of hours. We've got a full-time job yeah. and it's just not interested. I know people want them, but we just don't. So we thought, well, you know, maybe we could and we, well, we won't paint it because that takes, you know, three times as long as making them. So we turned out this plain one and uh, yeah, anyway, so we just added some wings that we had left over and something else and, so I've got a friend up here at the moment and he comes out and say, here, you fly this with us. And yeah. it's just good fun. No, it's amazing. No, the, the, the details is um, awesome. Now, when it comes to things like electronics, what kind of gear do you sort of head towards with servos and retracts and things like that? High-tech servos on everything. A high-tech, we've gone to the digital, um, the high-voltage one. What is it, the D645? Yep. Before that, we just used the 5645. We use that on everything. That's been used. You know, we had a Compaf Spitfire and we had one of those servos on the elevator for years. They just work and we want to keep it simple. So Spectrum Gear, got DX18s. Um, Electron uh, undercarriage. Um, we've gone away from air. We use air for a number of years. We used to use Robart mm. air and now we use the Electron. That's great They're gear. Magnificent. Yeah, bit of gear though. And great people to um, and get tail wheels we make ourselves. Like we pay nearly what two or three hundred dollars for a for a tail wheel for one of these Mustangs, and you look at the design of it, and you think, you know, that's rubbish. So you start, you know, getting out your scrap bin and breaking the shapes down, and like we can make our own tail wheels now, like totally retractable, steerable tail wheel for, for virtually no cost. It's just bits of metal from Bunnings almost. Yeah, okay, I'm looking so, at one of those now. If you're just a little bit imaginative and persistent, you can make so much. Talking of making stuff from Bunnings, because we like flying with other people, Mustangs are just way too time-consuming. We thought, yeah. what's a really simple plane that we could get other people in our club flying? So we settled on this Fokker D8, monoplane, you know, not two wings or anything. And being fabric, we thought, Wonder if we could make if we could mould it and make it look sorry. Yeah. We we made a moulded, it's about a third scale, um, D eight oh, really? and put a um four stroke torque pro seventy into it. 
absolutely. That is the most perfect sounding plane I've ever seen. When a, an open <laughs> exhaust 70cc four stroke in three spockers, it just sounds totally convincing, I reckon. And because we used a fabric on the plug, so when we made the mould, all that fabric texture comes out. Oh, really? And, and when you actually run your fingers over it, it's it, even though it's fiberglass, it sounds like cloth. It's oh, weird. Really? It's amazing. See, it's am you are Mike Patey. You are like it's, it's that kind of thing. It's just oh, I'm just baffled. I, I just, We're just we just I just think we haven't grown up. <laughs> Well, that's a good. That's a good idea. My mum keeps on telling me to grow up, and I said I will, but not yet. It's not worth it yet. Now it's yeah. We just say yeah. Life's too short not to have fun every day, isn't it? Really? That's true, but it, it, it's interesting. I, mean, it, I said earlier, you rarely see like a husband and wife team in aero modelling. Do you count yourselves <laughs> lucky that you, you are a team? Because I know that the, some guys that can say, ah. Oh, I just want to have some me time. I don't want my wife coming to the flying yeah, field. Hear that? No, look, we 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 both got we're very different people, and we've both got different interests. And we could quite easily, you know, as you could go off and you know get really consumed in some sort of like highly technical engineering project, and I'd go off and do something like really arty, and we'd never see each other. But they we it's a choice, and but we've also found that when we combine. The skills that we have, you get that synergy effect. We the projects that we do together have always been just way more successful than if we just try to do something on our own. And it's yeah, we just get so much more out of it. And we've always got something to talk about. <laughs> it's true. That is, that is true. You're actually an amazing couple. Absolutely amazing couple. Really, when you think about it. Um, you know what drives you to go to the effort to do what you're doing? Because, like you said, it's it's not something that you just go and buy an ARF, slap it together. You know, there's a friend of mine that keeps on building planes and he builds them in two two days. Um, yeah. You know, because it's it's like hundred hours plus to build a Mustang. You know, what keeps on driving you to keep on putting in that effort? It's well, good. It's good fun, isn't it? It's good fun, but you, I, I always look at the negative of it. You know, what happens if you don't? What are you going to do? You're just going to sit down and watch the bloody shit on TV or, I don't know, go, yeah. you know. What? So, you know, there's so many projects I still want to do. You've got to be curious. Now, what would happen if I did this? Do you think this would work? If I put this motor in that? And don't don't laugh, but how about we paint one like this? Oh. We did a Corsair, did a fifth-scale Corsair, and we put, you know, the, the fancy Moki in it, and that's all wonderful. And then we said... Well, you know, why don't you if you just put a DLE in it and you, know, 50, you go and race them around? You're not going to race around with, you know, $5,000 mokies in them. We've thought about it. We, we actually do have one each that we... A pair of mokies. A pair of mokies. Oh, do you? We, yeah, we did because mm. Richard got one and we still do. And then I wanted one, so, <laughs> so I got one for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> for your birthday, you got a mokie. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. They so. they are a nice motor. The motor that I really love is what's that inline? Is it an inline four or something? Colm? The Colm motors. Have you ever seen those out of Germany? Yeah, we, we had one of the early Colms, like one of the really early Colms. Single cylinder one. Sixty seven cost us off oh, thousands. And yeah. it 
for the dog of a thing. Hey, oh, really? Since, yeah. Uh, you know, the new owners and it's all better, but oh, we had such a bad experience with this one that we've sort of... Yeah, we just hear the name and kind of shut it. Look, I'm sure they're fine now. We're the sound, the sound that they make. That There was this yeah. on YouTube, you'd look up galloping ghosts with the Colm engine and yep. when it does a high-speed pass, oh. Yeah. This have you have you heard the talk pro because that we got that after the coal. Oh, after they're a brilliant motor. Where yeah. do they, where do they come from? China, I'm China. Imagine. Taiwan or something Taiwan like that. Talk it's T O R Q. Yes, and they that beautiful four stroke. Yeah, been the right sort of plane. They're they're brilliant. Really, I'm just gonna look now. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, I'll send you. I'll send you a link with it in the uh, Fokker. Oh, here it is. It sounds fantastic. Okay, I've, I've never heard of them, so I'm learning a lot from you guys. This is good. <laughs> I want to. My biggest problem is I couldn't do what you're doing because my house isn't big enough. You know, I live in Melbourne. We yeah. don't. We don't use the house much. <laughs> no, we, but we, we 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 ended up building. We had this little. Um, two, bay two bay shed, which was you know stinking hot and freezing cold and all the rest of it. So we built a basically a custom sized full bay shed, fun factory, which was just and designed. It's got we put you know the air um, a vacuum air sort of lined along one side, and we put and the benches at different heights and widths for molding and. <laughs> and Richard literally gets out of bed and walks straight out to the shed and turns the computer on, comes in for breakfast, and he's just out the shed. He just goes from there and then goes to bed. One of my just, friends has got that. He's, has that situation where his shed is great. He's, he's got a television in it. And he's got he's got yeah, everything yeah. and everything. Yeah. I love going to his place to work on my planes because everything's there and ready to go. With yeah. me. I have a single car garage. My trailer lives in it, so I have to move the trailer out, pull the plane yeah. out I want to work on, set it all up, and then I have to pack everything up to put it back in the trailer before it gets dark, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's just so much of a hassle. My wife doesn't understand that, though. She's like, why are you leaving everything lying around? Because do you understand how painful it is to have to pack up everything? Yeah, yeah. that's a Can't pain. I just leave it here and tomorrow morning I'll continue because I don't want to pack everything up and then have to pull it all out again. So my my... You know, and you know, to even to have the space to have things like CNCs and things like that, it's um, yeah. I I'd need to move, and I'm planning. Well, I've bought a lotto ticket. I'm going to win the fifty million dollar Powerball tomorrow night. Actually, oh, my sister was. Yeah. No, no, that's I've I've already earmarked. They just keep on giving me the wrong numbers. But I tell you now, I'm not living in Melbourne. I'm moving to the country, and I'm going to have my strip and my hangar, my building area, and and I'll be there. So if you need me, that's where I'll be. That'll be in about a week's time once I uh, get the money from uh, the lotto people. Well, with the rest of Victoria. <laughs> yeah. There's so many Victorians moving up here now. Oh, no. It's scary. It's, it's, it's good. Yeah. No, a, a friend of mine actually, um, he's bought a place in the Gold Coast. He's he's yep. moving up there. and uh, But um, no, the only thing that's stopping me from moving to the Gold Coast is the mosquitoes just love me. <laughs> Absolutely, I went. I was there a few years ago up the Sunshine Coast, and I was scratching for two weeks after my trip up there. It was it was horrendous. They, they go for me too, but there's always the guard. That's true. That is it's true. I probably didn't have enough of it on. <laughs> now, 
So you said you're getting out of the field well, at least twice a week. What club are you a member of? Um, Bundaberg Era Modelers, which is out at a, um, it's about 15, 20 minutes south of Bundaberg. Yeah. What's the field uh, like? Absolutely magnificent field. We've got a, it's a 50-acre paddock. We've got a 25-year lease from the Queensland government. Really? Because we, it's such secure tenure. We, you know, you can put in for these grants, which yeah. are the Queensland government um, gaming grants. Like we've had $35,000 worth of grant to improve. We've just bought a new tractor, and it's because the the, the field ticks the boxes. It's yeah. um, and so we've got these beautiful facilities. The, the, the grass Maybe. looks great. It's, it's, we have a caretaker who lives there, and he's he's really, a, really he's OCD. He's wonderful, so he's you know keeps everything immaculate. And, and our neighbours are like five thousand acre national park, so we fly out over the national park, so we have no noise or we don't have noise restrictions, so we can have four strokes of open exhaust. Oh, that's no. good. <laughs> I, I'm just looking at a photo here on your your Facebook page, the lightning a and the Corsair deal. together. Is that's that, that's going to be exciting. Because is that the two of you flying the, this photo with the Corsair and the um the Lightning? I can't remember. I don't know which photo you're looking at. But oh, there's it, something that's two. It looks like in formation. That's a great photo. <laughs> oh, that's really good. I'm telling yeah. you, if I'm up your way, I'm coming to visit you. Just tell the mosquitoes oh. to stay away. But I'm I'm definitely coming to have a look because it looks awesome. That field, absolutely, absolutely. You're welcome. We'll even give you a. Give Mustang. A, Do you fly mode Mustang. two? No, 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 mode. But I'll bring my. I've got a DX eighteen, so I'll just bind it. That's fine. There we so, go. There we go. I'll be Next there. Well, up. I've got to. I've got to celebrate my lotto win first, and then I'll be up the day after in my private <laughs> jet. Sounds like a date. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, okay, there's a question that I always end up with. My signature move, which is what has been your favourite model? And it's going to be an interesting one. And I'm going to go go one at a time. So, uh, Patsy, tell me, what has been your favourite model to date? Um, probably the Mustang. It is absolutely gorgeous. But having flown the Lightning a bit lately, every time I fly that, I'm like, oh, man. that's So I'm sure that once we get, I get more time on the Lightning, that might what end up being your favourite. That might be, but at the moment, I'm I'm it would have to be my Mustang. Yeah. What about <laughs> you, Richard? Oh, it'd have to be the Lightning. It's just been on the bucket list for I don't know fifty years or something, and to actually achieve it, like design it from full size drawings, build the mould, get it flying, and have it fly. It is just the most beautiful thing to fly. Um, the only thing against it is it's a two-person thing, like to lift it in and out of the trailer. It's, it needs two people. It's easy. If you're on your own, it would have been a bit of a, a handful. But other than that, I reckon that is the perfect plane. It is just it's such a, a, a sense of achievement having got it to fly. Are, are there any planes on the bucket list still that you'd like to, <laughs> to build? Or is it a stupid question because there's too many? I, I, I really... Patsy will probably hit me, but um, I've really got a thing for a Sabre, an F-86. I'm not much into yeah. jet. No, they're but, nice. But, but I love the Sabre as well. I'm not going to hit them. I don't hit them. <laughs> I, I, I saw one on the weekend fly, and yeah. um, 
Yeah, beautiful. It's just something about that shape that just yeah, works. It, is. It's, it's, it must it's, be something to do with the fifties. I don't want yeah. to save. I want to make a saver. That's that's the thing. Someone said, oh, yeah. "I've got one in the shed. You can have it." No, I don't want it. I want to design it and get into you know every curve and nook and cranny on the thing and make it work. So, and then when I get really you know too old to fly that, I'm coming back to my tiger moth, like a big you know third yeah. scale tiger moth. With a big old four stroke in it, I'm thinking that's where I'll be you know, happy in my retirement, puttering around in that. I think I love tiger moths. Seeing them fly, that they look real. They, they yeah. you know, really nice flying characteristics. But they just had a friend, literally today, a friend of mine sent me. He has this. I think it was a scratch built plane because there's so much detail in it that there's no way it was an ARF. I don't think. And he bought it off somebody else and then sort of did a, a refurb on it. Yeah. And a, a mate of his helped him, you know, finish off a few few parts where he had a bit of expertise. And he's got it back and he sent me, he literally sent me two photos today, this yellow thing. And I think my words were, um, I'll be test flying that plane. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you never go flying. I said, even if you fly more than me, I'm a better pilot than you. You'll be too nervous to fly it. So I'm going to fly it. He is head <laughs> of the Flat Out RC Peanut Gallery. But um, yeah. But uh, yeah, a, a really nice looking planes. But I'll tell you what, yeah, that F eight. I'm looking now. There's a company called Tomahawk Aviation, um, yeah, no. and they make beautiful planes, but they're really expensive. And I'm just looking now because I know they make. Uh, they make a saber. Yeah, they make a saber. <laughs> yeah, we know. We, we've looked. The funny thing I'm just looking like- at the price now of their saber, and we're talking euros. Twelve thousand four hundred and ninety dollars. So it'd probably be around what sixteen thousand dollars just for the kit. But if, if I can make my own mold for that, these planes, mm. raw material, we're talking sub five hundred dollars. There's a lot of hours, but not. I'll give you eight hundred dollars to make me one then. <laughs> it's the hours that make it uneconomical. Yeah, but it's, it's true. Like for us, if we're happy to stand out in the shed, we used to say to people in our club we've told a lot of people you come round to our shed and we'll give you one day a week we'll show you how to do it you make your own and you know what not one single person took us up because, because you are they, but you're unique though like the but we we often we said it's like basically they go oh no you do it for me but it's like look yeah we want it yeah we want it but like you come round here you know, we'll give you like one night a week or a, or a Sunday afternoon or something that works and it'll probably take you, you know, six months or whatever, but we'll show you how to do it and week by week we'll lay the parts up and you do it and, you know, you'll have one, but nah, they just want it. <laughs> nah, well, that's right. That, look, that's why ARS um, came about. Yeah. It's because people just wanted it and they didn't want to make the effort and, and as we all know in life that those that make the effort get the greatest reward. And you're making that effort that that other people don't want to do, but it's it's abnormal behavior. Not calling you abnormal, but it, no, it's, we are weirdos. Yeah, it's like a Mike <laughs> Patey that is going there and just going to the next level to build a full size plane to, to 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 his specification and pushing the boundaries with that as well. And you've got to be wired that kind of way and that really that committed. And, and I love I love your story and how you work together and that. You know, you're using your skill sets in your own way yeah. to, to benefit the building. Yeah, that very complimentary that the skill set that you've got. And it sounds like you're never you're never gonna get bored. Like this is it. Like if if you two get bored, that's it. 
I'm going to come and sort <laughs> yourself out. But, <laughs> yeah, that's that's. My wife always said to me, "Could you ever sit still?" And I say, "No, no, no." Like, I, I, like going on a beach holiday. I love the beach. I like. We live at the beach, so we're so see. We never ever go on holiday. It's it's difficult for us to get away, even to go to things, because having the farm, it's a hydroponic farm, so we're fairly tied to it, and we often work weekends, and we couldn't get. You know, it's difficult. But we've been walking distance of the beach. We've got a pool in the backyard. Uh, we've got the shed out the back. We've probably got one of the best flying fields you could ever want. It's like, why would we want to go anywhere? You know, it's like, if you want a holiday, you come to the car because it's beautiful and <laughs> come and fly with us. But, you know, yeah, we'd get bored if we went away. No. Um, there are things that we'd probably like to go to. It would be fun, but it's just really difficult to sort of pack up the trailer and, and get away. Yeah, yeah, no, true. Well, look, at the moment, nobody's going anywhere. So, no. uh, <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't have to worry about that. Well, Richard and Patsy, it's been a pleasure for me to, to have a chat with you and learn more about what you're doing. And, and, and I know that anybody that listens to this podcast is going to be just amazed. Now, where can they see some of your models online? You know, I mentioned Facebook. Um, RAP, Rap, uh, Fun Factory, get on board, um, like that page so you can stay up to speed. Where else can we we see some of your activities? Um, we've got a got some of our, we put videos up on our YouTube channel, which again is we we started trying to do these videos to show people, but we're not really good on camera. They all look a bit awkward and stuff. <laughs> but you know we've Don't got worry some. About that. We've got some pretty bad videos up there, but we do put some of our flying videos up. And just again, just because it's what I would have wanted to have found, you know, ten years ago. If I'd seen these things ten years ago. Oh, you can be so much further ahead now. So I'm just trying to. Yeah. So we just put stuff out there. We we just grab a camera and it's it's badly done, and we just go look. Here it is. Here's what we've done. This is what we're doing, and we just stick stuff out there. But yeah. Well, all you need to do. So I'm just looking now. You just go to. Uh, Rap Fun Factory. There's plenty of videos there. That's that's awesome. But, well, thank and you, thank you for putting these videos out there because it, it's it's hard work doing those kind of videos, and it's not about production value. Like by all means, you don't need to make things better. It's just that knowledge that you're sharing, uh, and you know, which which I love because I don't like people that want to keep things to themselves. No, you know, no. we're talking about. Toy aeroplanes, really, like, and and it's that's what helps the hobby is that people share and get along and help each other. That's what makes it go forward. That's what we should yeah. be trying to do. Hey, well, it's, it's, someone said to me uh, um, earlier tonight. He said to me, "Um, oh, how much money do you make out of doing the podcast?" I said, "Absolutely zero. I've never actually tried to make money out of it. it actually, cost me money because I've yeah, subscribed to few different things. Costs you money. And why do you do it?" And I said, "Well, because I really enjoy doing it. I really love producing content." And putting it out there, and oh, why don't you try to you know make some money out? I said, well, I've got a business that makes me money, and if yeah. I want to go and make money, if it's just purely about money, I should not do anything except just turn up to work there and go and make money. And yeah. it's not about that, especially in the hobby. There's not a lot of money floating around. Like yeah. you said, like you put a hundred hours into a Mustang, and if you had to go and you know say to someone, oh, it's going to cost um twenty thousand dollars for that kid. It's not going to happen. No, it's no. not going to happen, is it? No. So, we wanted to do a video the other day. It was just oh, just before we go. I thought because people, we, we put up these random pictures. Oh, this is this laid up and this is something else. And poor people watching it, it's like, oh, what the hell is that? You know, there's this and that and there's composites and, and then there's something with 
clamps all over it and said to Richard, we, we need to do something from start to finish. Get the wax out, wax the mould, go in, paint it, come back in, lay it up. So we had all these flaps, so nice, simple moulds that weren't going to kind of stress us out too much. It wasn't a big, you know, trying to do a fuselage. Had them all later and we started. Well, it just turned out to be a disaster. We had the the, the, the camera on. went off in the middle of it and I went and reviewed some of the thing and while I was talking, I don't think I was even on camera. The whole thing was just such a disaster. We just canned it. So it was like, oh, well, next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Richard and Patsy, been a pleasure having you on the Flat Out RC podcast. I, I I I will at some point in time have you guys back and we'll talk some you know some detail around you know working with composites I think because you've done that trial and error and I think you know people will be interested to, to to delve a bit deeper so a big thank you from me uh, keep up the good work and don't forget everybody subscribe to the Rap Fun Factory on YouTube and on Facebook and you can say it to speed and have a look at some of the beautiful planes that Richard and Patsy are building so well done. And if you're up in this neck of the woods, Andrew, do drop in and see us. Love to see you. I, oh, that's anyway, a given. Yeah. I'm going to have my transmitter. Oh, you'll know it's me because I'll have my transmitter going, I'm here, let's go. <laughs> Where's my Mustang? There, yeah, that's, uh, can I take it home with me now? Oh, can you just I'll, – I'll put it in the car. You just have to look after one of my kids because uh, I need the space to bring the plane home. <laughs> Sounds like a deal. Oh. I'll swap you my firstborn. Yeah, oh, and and my secondborn. That's all of them. But you can't have the dog. I'm keeping the dog. I understand. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Richard and Patsy. Thank you very much. Thanks, it's been fun. See you, Andrew. Bye. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Well, what an amazing couple. It's not often that we see a couple like that who are, are really sharing the passion of aero modeling together and really going to that next level of model building. We talk about scratch building. A lot of people can build a plane out of bolster and cut it and all that, which is a great effort um, as well. But they're, they're building these large scale planes uh, you know, comp out of you know, fiberglass. So you've got to build the molds and they're designing all the parts and fabricating all the components themselves. and there's a lot, a lot of work, and as I said, you couldn't make money out of it if you tried to sell it because you know, the kits would be worth $15,000 that nobody would pay for. But uh, amazing to, to, to have a chat with them and, and hear about what they're, um, they're up to. So well done, Richard and Patsy. Uh, get onto their Facebook page, the Wrap uh, Fun Factory. You'll see some of the planes that I was looking at and talking about, uh, and of course their YouTube channel as well. And whilst you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the Flat Out RC YouTube channel. I do have an, another couple of videos that I've got to finish editing and get up. So there's some, some more coming, uh, like video from uh, the Wayne Jets and then uh, another video I did about a model aeroplane that I saw at Flying Club that I wanted to tell you about. So that's coming up. So don't forget to subscribe to the Flat Out RC YouTube channel. And whilst you're at it, Instagram, Facebook as well. Just search Flat Out RC and get on board. And of course, subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about it. Let's spread the Flat Out RC love. Anyway, I'll be back next week. Not sure who the guest is going to be next week, but there'll be somebody who will work that out. So stay tuned. Thanks a lot.